Welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We're delighted to be joined by an actor, musician, astronomer, Tim Russ. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, The first question I'd like to ask is, if your life were a book, what chapter of your life would you be living in right now? Well, it depends on how many chapters would be in the book. Um, I would say the... uh, if you broke it down to a uh, feature film, it would be the third act uh, of that feature film would probably be more, more accurate because, you know, I, the chapters in the book, it would depend on how many chapters there were. Um, So I say, let's go with a, with the uh, analogy that it's a feature film and it's in the, I'm in the third act. uh, Yeah. Very definitely in the third act. Do do you feel like you've got a lot more to accomplish? Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I do have other goals that I have set for myself and what I did in the, uh, in the run up to uh, working in my career as an actor in front of the camera was initially I set short-term goals. I set, I set goals that were not, you know, too huge and, and, and unwieldy. I, I set small short-term goals and uh, pursued those, you know, at each stage. Um, uh, and that I think was an approach that worked out well for me. Um, I have suggested that to people who are starting out in the business to, to simply set short-term goals. Say, for example, the first goal would be to, to book an acting gig, just to book an acting gig, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of gig. And, um, and then from there, you know, uh, to go to booking, uh, more substantial gigs, you know, larger ones. Um, you know, if you haven't secured an agent or a manager, you know, that's a goal to secure an agent or manager, you know, just small things and small steps. And, um, and I think for myself, um, currently I've set other goals, which would be to, um, to get one of my own, uh, feature films, uh, produced, uh, that I'm able to direct. And right now I have a, an opportunity to do that in February of next year. I've worked on a number of them up to this point, but um, I wanted to get one that actually I put together myself, uh, came up with a story and and uh, and uh, worked with a writer to get the script done. And it's uh, it's been greenlit to go in February of next year. So those are some of the, again, the short-term goals yeah. that I put forth. Uh, and this goal in particular is uh, working from behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. Is Is it hard to maintain that discipline? Uh, no, it's not really. It, it's, you know, it's just a matter of if you're motivated to pursue whatever it is you're pursuing. Um, that makes a huge difference. And um, right now, as far as feet on the ground, um, I cannot say that I'm as driven as I was when I started out as an actor. I was much more driven at that time. I probably put 150% into what I was doing. These days, it's a little less because, you know, uh, I consider myself not retired, but certainly work optional. Uh, that's what I call it. And um, so I, you know, I have I have put the effort into uh, creating uh, multiple projects and working with other producers on these projects. Um, but I am not in the producer hat position i don't really like that position i enjoy the more creative aspect so on the creative side yes very much working hard to uh to put these projects together uh to work with writers and getting the scripts done and all that kind of thing the selling of them and trying to get them 
produced and financed, man, that is not really my bag. I, I'd rather somebody else who has the connections and the motivation and the contact and the, you know, the ground game to get that done. So I work with producers in order to get these projects off the ground. Hmm. What, what were your early days then like um, coming up as, you know, a, a no-name a no actor? What were those struggles? How did you um, deal with those struggles? Uh, it was very difficult. Um, you know, at one point, uh, I was there was many points where I had, you know, some minor anxiety attacks or, you know, just was just frustrated or very angry about the fact that, you know, things just weren't clicking like I wanted them to click. And so, you know, it, it took a number of years for sure. And um, and part time jobs of all kinds to, to, to stay alive, keeping my overhead low and all that good stuff and just kept hustling. Um, mm. Yeah, the the um, there was a casting director. I remember going to one of their workshops and uh, at the time. And I remember that they sort of listed the things you need uh, you know, to succeed as an actor in this town. And she listed the obvious things, which is um, obviously uh, a talent. You have to have a certain degree of talent. You have to have your your chops together. You got to do your workshops and your classes and you got to hone your skills. Got to have that. You have to be aware of what type of character it is you're going to play, et cetera, et cetera. You have to uh, have persistence, just undying persistence and dogged, you know, you know, determination. Uh, you have to have uh, connections and networks um, uh, that can help you get a job just by networking with someone. Yeah. Um, you have those. And the last thing she listed was was unusual. It was it was rage. She said you have to have rage. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that is what I felt. Yeah, that yeah. is something that I did felt. I was just I was so, you know, like I said, it was a, there was a frustration. There was a, you know, I was just, you know, angry about the fact that it hasn't you know, happen yet. And damn it, I know that I'm able to do this. I came here to do this and I'm not going to, you know, give up until I do. And there was that, that sort of thing. You have to really, really uh, be determined uh, to, 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 to pursue it. And, and that was a very interesting element of what she, she described. I was not expecting it, but I did feel it. So I can say that she was probably right about all of that. Yeah. And during the hard times, what pulled you through? Um, the, well, the only thing that pulled me through was just, again, the raw determination, you know, um, and the fact that I refused to give up. Um, you know, the, the saying is, you know, there are people, you know, you, you want to push beyond the point where everybody else says you should throw the towel in, you know, you should just call it a day. It's, you know, you need to push beyond that point where everyone else thinks you're not going to make it. And, uh, you simply do not want to give up. You, you know, you're, you're in the trenches, you're down here, you're, you're, you're fighting to get, you know, something going and you simply, you just refuse to give up. That's what it comes down to. Um, that it is absolute raw, unbridled determination to, to see this thing through. And uh, everybody has their breaking point. You know, everybody has the point where, you know, they, they decide to throw the towel in and, uh, and it's all going to be different for everybody. So it just depends on, you know, that person's determination to to get from point A to point B. Did you um have a circle of acting friends during that time? And did you see one? And if you did, did you see one of them go off to great success while you were still in those trenches? As a matter of fact, yes. Yeah. Uh, a very good friend of mine. Uh, it was a, a buddy of mine who we went to college together. And um, 
he got Groling before before I did um, in film and television. Um, he's got a very strong stage background, so he'd done a lot of stage in Chicago. And when he got out to California, he landed a role, and I think it was a series. See, he got going before I did, and uh, again, that was a motivation for me uh, to uh, to pursue it and to keep going. Uh, we both went to school and studied theater together, so and we both ended up here. And there were a few other friends of mine from college in the theater department that ended up here, but they were not pursuing their careers um, as I was and as my friend was. So yeah, that was a great motivator is to yeah. see him get it. And now we're going to, now we're going to see what happens here as well. And the only other element that I would throw in other than what the, that I listed earlier, but the casting director was talking about, there is serendipity. There is luck. There's an element of luck, which is just, you know, it's beyond your control. You, yeah. you, you, you can't, you know, you can load the dice uh, in your favor. Uh, by having your skills together and you're making your connections and you're hustling and whatever. You can load the dice in your favor, but you cannot guarantee that that door will open and that you'll be right there standing there to go in. And when it and when it does, you get the role and you keep going. That is, there is luck happening um, several times in my career. So there, that little factor is something that yeah. individually cannot be controlled. And, and I, I don't know what to say about that to, to anybody who's starting out because it's just not, it's not a tangible thing you can manipulate, you know. Yeah. Right. And I think in order for luck to work, you also have to be at the table where you can roll the dice. You can't you can't expect luck to work if you're sitting in your bedroom as well. Absolutely. Now you 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 have to roll the dice. You mm, not right. only have yeah. to load them, you can't load them, you do have to play the game. You got to sit there and you got to play the game. So so you as long as you are pursuing it and as hard as you might be pursuing it, um you still have to rely on that element to yeah. come through for you. And that is, you know, classic right place right time that's classic yeah, absolutely absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. let me yeah. ask you this um well as we just talked about you have to roll the dice and you have to be at the table to roll the dice in order for luck mm -hmm. to work how mm -hmm. does one position themselves at that table and we're talking metaphorically of course um because people do have life people do have regular jobs and people are, have have debt and have responsibilities how does one position themselves in, at that position that they can, you know, roll the dice or because everyone's working hard. You're also working hard in your job, but you also have to work hard, escape that in order for you to pursue what you actually like. How does one position themselves at that table? Well, it depends. If you're specifically talking about pursuing a career as, as an actor, right. uh, the number one thing is you have to keep your overhead down. Your mm. overhead has to be kept down. You have to save your money. You cannot waste your money. Whatever you make, you have to save because you got rent and bills to pay. So when I also include keeping your overhead down, if you want to get married and have children, do not think about being an actor. It's not going to happen. Unless, of course, you marry somebody who's wealthy and rich and willing to support you. Fantastic. You know, take that avenue and have at it, you know, um, if it works for you. But if you are not uh, and you're thinking about doing something like that, you cannot afford that because you have the security of others to worry about. So you you don't have that. So you have to keep your overhead down. And that includes staying you know, by yourself, working by yourself, not having other responsibilities other than yourself for that period of time, whatever it is you're, you're deciding to pursue it. That makes it a lot easier for you to have a part-time job, preferably a job that takes place in the evenings, whether it's waiting tables or bartending or something, something, whatever, in the evening so that you have your daytime available to do auditions and or to even work on a mm -hmm. film. 
So you need something that's fairly flexible, a job that's fairly flexible, and that preferably is in the evening. So as far as supporting yourself, you can do that while you're, you know, doing what you're doing. You're keeping your overhead low by where you live. Uh, do you have roommates that keep the rent down and things like that? All those little things are are just mechanical things that allow you to stay at the table and stay in the game. Um, and that's just, again, it's just what I did at the time. I That's what I did. When I did get a, a, a decent role and some money, I, I saved all my money. I banked everything and I didn't spend it on, on a bunch of, you know, cars or, or, or partying or whatever it might have been. Um, I didn't try to, to go beyond the lifestyle that I could afford to live. And that kept me in the game. Otherwise, I would have been had to go back to working a regular job just to sustain myself and to pay the bills. So, you know, there's there's just practical things you can do uh, if, if if you're pursuing this kind of work uh, yeah. that, that I'm doing. I, I was listening to um, an interview recently with um, Tobin Bell, the actor Tobin Bell, and he said that he had um, too many jobs to count when he was coming up as an actor. But no matter how menial they those jobs were, he didn't um, disrespect those jobs because it was it was it allowed him to stay in that game. So he always sure. respected the job that, that he was doing on the side, even though he wasn't passionate about it. He was showing up, doing the work, so he could stay in the game and pursue what he really wanted to do. And I love that because as creatives. Um, be it you know writing, photography, acting—you have to have something to keep the fuel going. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, absolutely. I, I. Yeah. I. You know, the jobs that I worked, I showed up. I did the jobs. I worked as hard as I could <laughs> at them. Um, some of them I had to uh, quit or walk away from because I had happened to have booked you know some acting work at the time, and I had to take the acting work, and and that was the end of that. So I did move from job to job, but I did while I was on them. I worked as hard as I could. I had I don't know a dozen different jobs during that time, and then you know they were. They were semi part time. It was just enough for me to pay the rent and bills. I had like again, I had very very low overhead at the time. So um, uh, for a year or two, I was fortunate enough to make a living just playing music at night for three or four hours uh, in a club, and that was perfect. Uh, that allowed me wide open time for my days and uh, didn't get in the way of anything, and I was able to pay the bills. So you know, and 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 if if I'm talking to somebody who's starting out now today it's it is it's just 100 different than it was when i started so i cannot say that my formula parts of it will definitely work the landscape however is beyond my control and is very different than when i started so yes. it's a it's just not the same landscape not the same environment you think it's difficult now to become an actor or it was difficult back then i think it's much harder now than it was then um depending upon where you are if you are living perhaps, or for example, uh, maybe in another city like Atlanta or someplace like that, um, you might have a little bit better shot because your or your overhead is going to be less because the city will be less expensive to live in. Um, there might be more work there because they are shooting and filming a lot of projects there. So you might have a chance to get off the ground in uh, based in, in Atlanta, for example, as a hub. Uh, but if if you're if you're in Los Angeles, the the nature of the business is different now because you have you are competing with people who live in Kansas, you know, mm. or, or Minnesota, because everything's on the Internet. Everything is done by a Zoom. Everything is done by 
self-tapes. Uh, it's by video. So anyone can audition for anything, um, uh, anywhere. So now the number of people who have their hat in the game is much greater than it was before. In some cases, you might lose a role out to somebody who's got an Instagram following that's, you know, uh, or TikTok following that's big enough to, that all they want is just to have the followers. And you lose out even though you're better for the role than they are. Um, and that's a reality of today, uh, right now, that is happening as we speak, um, that people are being hired just because they have more followers on Twitter or uh, TikTok or whatever it might be. So uh, that's that's the difference in terms of the landscape that exists now. Um, also in Los Angeles, a lot of the work that was available when I, to me when I was here, when I started out, is now shooting someplace else, shooting in mm -hmm. Canada. A lot of projects shoot in Canada. So all those roles, all those guest star roles and the lead roles are gone. And uh, when I started out, they were here. So uh, there was a lot more work available, even though there was still a lot of people, <clears throat> you know, fighting for those roles. There was more work available. If you were starting now, what would you do differently to cut through the fog? Let me ask you this. Um, uh, well, if I was starting out now, I, I would still you know, want to have all my tools, you know, in the, in the box. So I would still, you know, be honing my skills, taking the workshops and the classes that are necessary um, and focusing on that. So that if, and when the opportunity came up, I would, I would pursue it. I would be um, taking advantage of the casting sites that are out there. You have to subscribe to them and pay for them every month. Um, and I would be submitting myself for those all the time. When I started out, that was a that was a paper that came out every Thursday, and you had to mail your resume and and headshot to the to the casting person of that project. That's how that was done back then. So now it's all electronic. So you have your electronic footprint, you have your demo reel. Um, if you don't have one, you can pay to have one produced for you, so they can see what you do. I would have that link on my phone. Um, if you're a singer, I'd have the singing links on my phone so they can see what you can do uh, in, a, in a live performance, have it ready to go all the time. Um, I would have the pictures, obviously, and everything else available on the phone, everything on the phone, so that in case you come across somebody and you, you know, they're, they're doing a project and you want to pitch yourself as an actor or whatever, you've got your acting resume, you've got your reel, you've got your photos, you've got all that stuff ready to go. Um, it is an electronic age, so I take advantage of the electronic age or the digital age that we're in. So, you know, you've got your, you've got a, perhaps a website that you've got, you've got your pictures on it, your demo reel, whatever it might be. Um, you've got a link to your work on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can, uh, these days produce your own projects and create your own platform. You can create the vehicle for yourself as an actor. Um, if you if you you have that ability to write well or work with somebody who does write well and create your own project and upload it to YouTube, you know, as a as a series or whatever right. it might be. Um, now you've got you know potential followers and you've got a platform you can show people what you do, um, and you could generate your own uh, income in that way, shape, or form. That's what's happening now. So and people are taking advantage of that. You have that option as well. Other than that, you just it's just still the basic hustle of trying to get somebody's representation to to bring you on board. Um, I would target a manager first before an agent. Uh, managers have fewer clients and uh, they can hustle harder for you. 
So I would try to still get the representation you need and to and to and to to do the basic building blocks of what I discussed earlier in terms of having your your tools in the toolbox to pursue it. It's just that the world is now digital. It's a digital world and and everything is done that way. So um, one of the things I tell people is, you know, whatever email you have and phone number you have, don't change it. You better keep it the same because mm. if you change it and then all of a sudden they're trying to find you now, you just lost work. So. You know, keep all that stuff the same so people don't have to, you know, have to keep changing things and giving updating and this and updating and that. So try to find something that's just a work email and your cell and do not change it. Yeah. What what happens or what happened to you when you eventually found success? What did that do to your mindset? Well, I was already aware of the fact that uh that success in this business is always short-lived it's going to have it it's going to have its own arc and Mm. it eventually is going to be over so i knew that uh you know one voyager in particular was a good seven year long series it was a very good benefit for me um in many ways but i knew that it was going to be over at some point in time and that would be it and in point of fact you know when it was over i there was about three or four years i didn't work hardly at all uh, in front of camera it just was the way it was. Um, yeah. It wasn't so much because of the show or the role that I played. It's more because you were exposed on a network, you yeah. know, and once you're exposed on a network, um, people who are creating their own projects down the line want someone who's not exposed. They want someone to come on who's fresh and mm-hmm. only represents their project. Yeah. you know, so that when people watch it, it they only identify them with that project. So that's part of the reason why I expected to not necessarily do a lot of work um, after that. Um, Only a few actors uh, on certain shows will be able to break that mold. Um, If they are a lead actor in a series and they are playing, you know, a dynamic, dramatic, romantic lead character, uh, they can jump into another show and play a different character because they are being sold as that star as an individual. Um, if you're coming on as a series regular on someone's show, it's not necessarily going to be the same. So it, rarely it happens, but most of the time <clears throat> or many times you may not get, you know, that much work for a while after that show's over, people can forget, you know, who you were, what you were doing, and then everything can start all over again. It took about three or four years, four years, about four years. And then I was able to book another series and a recurring role on another show and yada, yada. So it took off again after that. Yeah. So it's short. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't hit the reset button. Yes. Yeah. 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 I knew that was coming. Yeah. (laughs) I expected, I expected that to happen. And, you know, as uh, what is it? The famous uh, line from the feature film Patton uh, when he's, you know, it is uh, when the war is over and he's, you know, uh, now retired and, you know, thinking back on all of his days of of glory. Uh, there's a wonderful description he makes of the of the returning uh, conquering general, um, the emperor of this uh, city. And he's uh, triumphantly returns in his chariot uh, with throngs of his people, you know, cheering him and his captives enslaved following behind his chariot and his faithful servant stands beside him in the chariot and whispers in his ear that all glory is fleeting 
and that I've never forgotten that uh, moment, uh, that that line in that uh, film because it's it that tells you right there. Yeah, you, know, you may be on top today, but you probably mm -hmm. won't be tomorrow, and that's just the way it is, you know. Uh, for a hand for a yeah. handful of people, it's their legacy is is quite strong, and they yeah. can always have that to to bank on. But for most of it's not. Do you think most people in your industry have that in the back of their mind that oh, this is not going to last for long, or do they just ride that wave of success and then when it's over, does it hit them like a ton of bricks? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know anyone personally that that's happened to or where i've seen actually witnessed the whole ride um i have seen uh we've all seen a few people out there that have sort of suffered as uh for example child actors young people who started out and they hit really really big and then all of a sudden they can't find any more work they're forgotten they're no longer there uh, macaulay macaulay calkin i think from uh uh, his days on those feature films started out that way. There's a few others that that hit it. I think most of the time it's the younger actors that have that have experienced that because they're big at, at that time. But as they mature, if they can't make that transition uh, easily, uh, they are forgotten and somebody else replaces them. There's the old adage about the producer sitting sitting behind his desk and he says, uh, the first thing he says is, who's Tim Russ? And he says, the next thing is, get me Tim Russ. And then get me a younger Tim Russ. <laughs> and then the last thing is, who's Tim Russ? Yeah, <laughs> so that, that that's that's essentially how it goes. Yeah, um, I'll give you a saying that I learned a long time ago, and I've I've said it many, many a time. But this is the fact. There are no rules and they are strictly adhered to. <laughs> mm. So that's right. that is the reality of this business. There are yeah. no rules. Nothing is written down, but they are strictly adhered to. And yeah. that's just the way things are. You know, you're great. You're yesterday's. It, it's everybody's got a 15 minute, you know, attention span. And you hit big and then you're gone. Yeah. And like I said, at the top of the pyramid, there are, you know, 20 people that don't have to worry about that. There are the exceptional 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 and very fortunate who are who are just ride the wave until there's no more wave and that's it and the rest of us are you know uh, usually somewhere in the middle of that pyramid if not the bottom and then just scraping to get on you know to keep on top of things and that's it wait were you always um a creative uh, what um, in terms of your childhood, did you um, have that creative spirit in you or did you find it when you got a bit older? Well, I, I started out uh, playing music. I've been a musician for 50 years. So I started out performing. And what I've excelled at over the years and what I've survived doing is just performing, whether it's been for camera, whether it's been on stage playing music or whatever it might be. That's what I've done. And um in in terms of actually you know being a songwriter or a screenwriter that kind of thing i'm not really that i don't do those kinds of things i'm not that prolific at that in those areas i'm more uh the actual hands-on performing um uh, behind the camera directing things like that i started out as you know in music and then it went from there to acting and then back to music so it was back and forth the whole time um uh and and so uh when i was 16 yeah i started playing guitar at that time 
and uh and to me uh, what 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 uh, brings me a lot of joy is is performing you know um in some way shape or form it's the hands-on actually doing uh, of that rather than putting myself in the position of being creator quote unquote as a writer myself or creating a concept or creating a television show this kind of thing i don't particularly fancy myself doing that uh, uh that's not my forte um, I have collaborated on a number of projects with others uh, to put stuff together, but it's not something that I just, you know, that's inside me that just pours out every day and I, that I have to do this or have to do that. I'm much more involved in in uh, in, in working on an, in an ensemble environment uh, with others and also uh, the actual hands-on performing, whether it's live or whether it's directing, things like that. Is, is music a big part of your life? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. it absolutely is. I, I, you know, I sit here and I mourn the day that I'm not able to perform anymore. I really do. I, I'm very much concerned about that time uh, uh, when it, if and when it ever approaches that I'm not able to perform for whatever reason. Either I don't have the band members, or I don't have the venue, I don't have the ability physically, whatever it might be. I really, I really mourn that day that uh, um, that if that happens, I would not be very happy because I so much enjoy doing that um there's just something about it and more so than i enjoy recording i don't really enjoy studio recording i've done it i just it's not my thing um it's performing live that that, yeah. that gives me that much pleasure you know um that would include live stage live theater things like that as well um, just being with working with an audience is something that's very exciting yeah um, it is it what what is it about the um, creating aspect of of music to you? What what do you do when you sit down and say, oh, "Okay, I'm going to write a song"? What what is going through your head at the time? Well, it depends. Um, I haven't written that much music um, over the years. I've written some songs for specific projects. Mm. Um, I wrote a children's CD about some seven or eight, ten songs for a children's CD. Uh, a while back and produced all those and put those together because at the time I had a, an audio book project uh, for kids that I, that I put together and developed with someone else. And then I uh, uh, expanded on that with a number of uh, songs to put on the audio book as well. And so I wrote and created about seven to 10 songs for that. Then, um, uh and and again it's not if it, if it's coming down and writing a, a particular song i wrote a song for a feature film um it was called uh they want dick dixter is the name of the movie but i the the producer you know had uh, a line in the film that he kept saying as an actor because the character kept saying this line about the song and i said well i said bobby do you have a song mm. that's gonna that we actually hear the song and he says no i don't and so i pitched him i said i'll write you a song and so I wrote a song based on the character in the movie. So it's it's a, the song is about that character, and uh, took it to studio and recorded. He loved it, and he put it in the movie. So um, uh, in the other songs I've, that I've written, have only been when I was inspired to do so, um, and that came from the outside in, not from the inside out. It was I was inspired by something from the outside, and I decided to write them. Um, mm -hmm inspired and motivated by something that happens so mm. the song i have on the on the internet on the youtube is called we that i've done a music video for as well and that song was inspired by a 
very long and frustrating phone call to customer service. Um, and I wrote it as a result of that, that day, within about a half an hour. Um, the, the, the other song called Cushion Geza, which is a song about my, uh, my mom, my daughter, my sister, and my, uh, and my uh, girlfriend. And uh, so I wrote that song about them. Um, and and uh, a few others, Brave New World is a bit sort of a, um, you know, not a post-apocalyptic, but something along the lines of what the future might bring song. So I've only been motivated once in a while. I cannot consider myself a prolific songwriter by any stretch of the imagination. Um, as I said earlier, I that has to come from inside out yeah. and you have to have that mo that is just dna and yeah i and i if i write something i don't stand there and say oh yeah that's you know uh, that's got to be this tune is mine so it's automatically really good you know in fact i'm gonna look at it and say oh man it's not as good as it could be or it's not as good as other songs so you know i don't necessarily see all the stuff that i write as that great um that is that is entirely up to someone else i let others determine whether it's any good i don't tell everybody i'm a great director i'm a great actor the hell with all that you tell me whether you like it or not yeah. and that's what i put it out there for so if i feel motivated so be it you know um so yeah i i I have not written anything since Lifeline, which is the last CD I put out. And, um, you know, that, that was just a song I had in my head. I had a, a hook in my head and I decided to expand on it and write it out. But mm. I don't sit down every day with a guitar and try to come up with tunes. I just don't do it. Um, oh. I, I, I'm more interested in, in arrangements that of songs that are already out there that I find uh, these little nuggets and then uh, putting them together and performing them live. So when you're by yourself on your guitar, what what kind of songs are you playing? If you could leave us with a couple of songs. Well, it depends because when I'm when I'm on the guitar by myself, typically I am practicing. Uh, right. I'm just practicing, which means, you know, I'm I'm finding songs that have complicated riffs in them, um, complicated lines and arrangements. And I want to keep up with them. I want to duplicate and keep up with them. That's just practicing being able to play. Um, if I'm sitting down practicing for a gig, then I'm going to run over the songs that I'm going to perform at the, at the gig. Um, and I play bass as well. So I'll pick songs for bass right. and for, and or for guitar that I like to play Uh guitar. Uh, you know, I've got the song with blood, sweat and tears more and more. Uh, yes. Um, roundabout by yes. Um, on bass. I'll, I'll practice that, that cause it's a really busy tune. As a matter of fact, the song, um, we, you, uh, you can't stop the beat from the, the musical hairspray uh, on bass. Uh, let me tell you how busy that thing is. So um, I'll run that song down just because it's really fast and really busy and it changes keys four times. So right. it's even more complicated than that. So that's the, you know, and, and on guitar, I might run down uh, black dog from Led Zeppelin uh, out on the tiles, Led Zeppelin. Uh, there's a deep purple track that I'll work. There's, um, you know, uh, there's a Edgar Winter track that I'll do. There's ZZ Top track that I'll do. Um, it just depends on the songs that I happen to find that that uh, I I like how tricky they are, and uh, I'll try to go ahead and cop them uh, and practice them until I can get them to be able to play at the same tempo and speed and as cleanly as I can. 
And those are just practice for songs. That's all. There's a thousand of them out there that I could pick and choose from. But right now, those are the ones that I usually uh, play to. Would Would you say you're um, an introspective person? Do you sit down often and think, oh, I wish I had taken that path instead of that path? Or if I didn't take that certain job, that wouldn't have led me to where I am now. Are you? Well, do you live with much regret or... Or look at your life and say, oh, I've accomplished a lot. Yeah, I. as a matter of fact, it, it, for me, it's quite the reverse of what you just said. In fact, yeah. the aspect of serendipity, the aspect of destiny, you know, yeah. we have 2020 hindsight, man, but I don't know anybody who can see 2020 in front. Yeah. You know, they may claim they can, but I'm not buying it. And, and, you know, that would be an episode of Twilight Zone to be able to do that. So in point of fact, what I do uh, remember because there was a moment in which um, I had the opportunity to uh, make a decision one way or the other. And yes. I've never forgotten that um, uh, or the young lady that uh, suggested that I do a certain thing. I was at an agency, a very small agency um, that no longer exists. And um, they had hired and fired some agents uh, over the course of a year or whatever it was. And um, I just wasn't getting booked on anything substantial. And I was only going in for, you know, under five day player roles. And I wanted to go to, to jump to another agency. I was like tired of these guys. I was frustrated with it. So I wanted to leave the agency and the, uh, the secretary um, who was sitting there, she's a Lolita Ramos was her name. She said, look, don't go anywhere yet. We're going to hire a new agent next week. You know, um, and so so we'd, we'd like you to stay with us and, you know, not take off just yet. Just give it another chance and uh, let us see what happens with this new agent. And I almost, you know, didn't take her advice. I almost just decided to throw in the towel and move. And I didn't. I decided to stay there and give them another chance. Sure enough, sure enough, they hired uh, this woman who hadn't been a franchised agent for more than six months. She was selling used cars prior to that, you know, but I'm thinking she was a really good used car salesman because she got in there and just within a few months, um, she got me into Paramount Pictures for a major feature um, and a major role. And I walked in and was able to book that role. And that is where my career started. So if I had not stayed with that agency, we might not be having this conversation. Uh, yeah, simple so. as that. I have absolutely no idea if and when my break would have happened, if at all. So that one moment, that one decision would have been something I, I would not have known to regret that decision because I would not have known what would have happened. You know, mm -hmm. so even if I did leave, I couldn't sit here and say, oh, man, I regret that decision because, you know, I could have stayed at that little agency and, you know, gotten booked on a big film. No, <laughs> no idea. I just I can only look back in 2020 hindsight and say, damn, damn, if I had decided to go differently. And in fact, yeah. I stayed there, gave took her advice. I had nothing to base it on mm. except uh, not a great track record with that agency. I had nothing else to base it on. Right. I just based it on her word. And sure enough, there it was. Um, consequently, um, that it that it that it happened the way it happened. Um, you, <laughs> if I can go back even farther, 
which I've, you know, I've mentioned a few times here and there, depending upon the subject matter, particularly with Star Trek and how that worked out. But uh, when I was in college in Austin, Texas, I had uh, a wonderful theater program that was focused almost all on theater. Um, it was almost like a trade school, the way it was set up, but it was a four-year college, but it was very heavy uh, in the in the theater department. So you did a lot of work. The professor brought in celebrity actors from Hollywood to be in the plays with the students, which garnered ticker, ticket sales and also a lot of experience for us to be able to work with them directly. One of the actors they brought in was Leonard Nimoy. So I was in a play with him in college, and that was in the 1970s. Yes. So serendipity turns out 2020 hindsight, I can only look back yeah. and end up playing a role based on his most famous character. How it, in the hell would that possibly have been seen? You know, there's just there's just these elements of that I call it the random universe. Being an, astro an astronomer, I do believe mm -hmm. I only believe in the random universe. OK. Yeah. Uh, we earth solar system universe wouldn't be here without the random universe it's random everything about it is random and that includes every element of one's life it is random the only thing you have control over is getting back up off the ground and when somebody knocks you down you have control of dusting yourself off and continuing to go to fighting to staying with it to being motivated but i swear to god there's no way in hell i would have been able to foresee what was going to happen to me how could I? It's impossible because it's random. Yeah. So I, you know, the most talented actor on the planet, you know, in this town may or may not get their shot for whatever reason. Although if they are extraordinarily talented, I think they will have a better chance than others. But it still takes a lot of other things and elements to come together that they may not have uh, control over. So uh, those things you know, uh, back to your original question. Yes, I there, I can't say I regret any of that stuff. I don't regret anything. I haven't turned down anything that I look back on and say, oh, my God, I should have taken that role or should have done this or that. You know, um, not as of yet. Everything has yeah. just happened uh, for me. I've just been very lucky. Hey, where does astronomy come into the equation? How did that come into the equation? Astronomy was just, I mean, it's a personal you know uh fascination love of, yeah fascination and love of mine I, I i was a scuba diver i've been scuba diving for 35 years and i was right. fascinated by that and i decided to pursue that um i've always loved uh, the sciences all of the sciences but uh space science in particular and i was always fascinated by it so just one day i decided to buy a small telescope and um go out and 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 learn the night sky and Sure enough, I did. And when I started, I just I couldn't stop. So um, I just kept pursuing it. And at the time I had to, everything was manual and everything was not computerized. So you had to learn everything uh, with star charts and, you know, bigger, bigger telescopes. And um, and that's what I did. And I, I just never look back after that. I've always been fascinated by it. I'm still fascinated by it. I still keep up with uh, the discoveries that are coming in, you know, the theories that are being pr produced by astrophysicists, astrobiologists, things like that, and um, and hands-on pursuing it with technology now that I couldn't have dreamed of when I started. Um, as we speak today, you know, there's there's equipment that's being produced and uh, manufactured that's just 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 amazing. So I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to uh, 
to utilize uh, those tools because mm. I'm a rep for one of the companies. So um, I'm able to, to, uh, to hands-on pursue this in, in a way that I just couldn't have been done before. So can you share any observations that fascinated you? Yeah. I mean, um, um, I use, uh, it, when I was starting out, I was able to, uh, with a medium, just small size telescope at the time, it wasn't a huge telescope. It was about a medium size. It was a refractor. And I was able to witness the impact points on the planet Jupiter when Shoemaker-Levy 9, the comet smashed into it. I was able to see those impact points with the telescope that I had. And that is probably once in a lifetime that you would be able to see uh, an event like that with a naked eye. Um, yeah, I've, able, I've been able to witness and observe uh, comets that were very close, naked eye through the telescope, which were absolutely stunning. Um, able to witness now uh, the activities of the sun with a very special telescope, it's a solar telescope. So I can see the prominences and the solar flares and all that kind of stuff. Um, I have a telescope now that I use that I'm, allows me to see uh, nebulas, uh, galaxies in their entirety, um, the color of the nebulas as well. Uh, I'm able to track asteroids, and I even helped assist um, NASA with the mission that they are on right now called the Lucy mission with the telescope that I have by conducting an occultation with an asteroid as it crosses in front of a star. I was able to image that. It takes about four minutes. And they are able to estimate the size and shape of the asteroid uh, before the probe reaches it. So I was able to do that as well. So, yeah, those are some of the highlights. And that's that's really cool. Yeah, that's stuff that I enjoy doing quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Do you, do you ever think, <laughs> sit down and ponder upon, like, what is it about human beings that fascinates us looking outside in the space? It's just it's just rocks or maybe just yeah. stars. It, it's funny to me. And I'm asking a philosophical question, like, why, why, why does it fascinate us? Well, I think when you immerse yourself into that world, you sort of realize how minuscule everything is and how ridiculous all the arguments people have with one another these days are when there's a whole galaxy out there. We're just a speck of dust in comparison. We are. You are absolutely right. Um, yeah. Our galaxy is actually a speck of dust in comparison. Yeah. The uh, the the fact of the matter is is that this Earth is very rare. The existence of this Earth with life on it is very rare. Um, I can tell you right now the estimates for intelligent civilizations in our galaxy, which is a hundred thousand light years across, billions upon billions of planets out there around other stars. The the likelihood of other intelligent life is not that great. So we are very rare. Um, our existence here is rare. Earth is rare. Um, our sun uh, uh, is is an average-sized star um, that's fairly docile and, and not uh, overactive so that we have an atmosphere that we can survive in. And the fact that life got started here um, on the evolutionary track that it took, which is, if you want to talk about some dice rolling, it's 12-sided dice and it's constantly rolling. So the fact that we're here at all um, and there may not be a whole lot of others out there like Earth um, with intelligent life is really something very special. You just don't realize how precious this planet is. And, and we, we cannot foretell what the future is and what it brings. We hope and there is optimism that, that we will make contact or at least identify intelligent life somewhere else in our galaxy. 
Um, they're looking very hard and uh, they have Earth-type Earth planets. They will analyze the atmosphere of these planets to make sure to see if there's industrial chemicals in those atmospheres, which would indicate intelligent life. There's possibilities that some civilizations have come and they have gone over millions of years, that they have gone extinct. Um, others who might be at the peak of their, uh, their uh, sophistication, others who might be capable of interplanetary travel, uh, some others who are just about the same level as we are or less. And but we right now, the estimates are low. They're low because everything has to line up in order for this planet and intelligent life to be able to take hold. Everything has to line up. And those variables are numerous. So it's a very, very special thing when you look out into space with the naked eye and you can imagine you can imagine that one of the stars that you see out there, there may be somebody on that planet looking back at us. Mm. you know in yeah. our direction and and thinking the same thing we are yeah um and that is that to me that's the ultimate question that is the ultimate yeah. quest that's the ultimate goal for humanity is to identify someone else or something else out there that's like us yeah. you know um you know and 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 once that exists man now it's it's a whole different ball game so it's very, very special. Um, and, 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 and some people are, you know, will look through the telescope and, you know, not think twice about it. Others will look at it and just their jaw drops and they're, they're all inspired. You know, it just depends on the individual as to how yeah. they, how they take that and how they think about that. But like you said, if you step back and you look at, you know, how vast just the galaxy is, never mind the universe, just the galaxy alone. Yeah. Um, and how many galaxies there are out there. Um, I will give you an example. If you took a grain of sand, just a grain of sand, and you held it at arm's length, covering the sky with just that grain of sand, just that little piece covering the, 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 the night sky, within that space of the grain of sand, they have found 1,500 galaxies galaxies yeah. not stars galaxies yeah. in the space of that tiny grain of sand that tells you how big and how vast the universe is mm. that is insane that is yeah. an insane amount of potential life civilizations whatever it may be there's no way man there if you can't be awe inspired by that then there's nothing that can shake you it's just that's just yeah. the way it is you know yeah it's just endless possibility but um I fear that humans won't be able to comprehend or grapple with um, contacts with alien life. If we do indeed make contact, it will just quickly say, okay, yes, aliens exist. Sure. Next, next thing. And that's exactly what it'll be. Yeah. It won't be a question of whether or not they'll be able to grasp it. Yeah. It'll only be a question of how it'll be a new story for about six oh, to 10 days. Yeah. And about a week. It'll be replaced by something that that Trump did. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's fifteen minutes, and then yeah. it's going to be gone. And they'll be right back to what they were doing. That yeah. that is the human condition right there. That race button, as we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We, we, we've had a couple of um, astrophysicists in here, and yeah, I always get disappointed because we've asked them, "Do aliens exist?" And they always say, "No, we haven't found any aliens." I don't know what we're expecting them to say, but I always just get disappointed when we ask that 
question of them, have you found aliens yet? And they say no. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the, it depends on how you phrase the question because um, they're not going to say that, that uh, they're not going to just outright say that alien life doesn't exist outside uh, of our uh, planet. They're yeah. not going to say that. Yeah. That they have to admit they are vehemently searching for. They're not going to spend money and design and build the James Webb telescope you know, and and keep SETI going without thinking they're not going to find intelligent. Their whole goal is to find intelligent life yeah. definitively. Physicists are only looking, and scientists are only looking at concrete, hard evidence. And ultimately, the question you want to ask them that they're going to not be able to stake their reputation on is saying that, yes, we are being visited by um, alien life. But... Our U.S. government in the United States is now uh, admitting that uh, UAPs, they call them now, um, are a real object. They are real things. They cannot definitively say that they are alien. They cannot say where they came from, and nobody has that evidence. We have no data, no information on any of that. That is true. But there are objects that are solid that are that actually exist that have been witnessed that are visualized that do exist that are not explained mm -hmm. that is what anybody can say right now without any doubt in their minds no one that's a physicist with their career on the line is going to admit that uh, to anything without definitive proof and for all intents and purposes uh, I do believe that they are uh, there. There are a number of possible possibilities as to what they might be. The very bottom of the of the heap is they are some might mistaken man-made something or other or natural. Um, that is one the very base possibility. I think that the other possibilities are if they are not man-made. The next question would be where are they from? Are they a interstellar? Have they come from another planet somewhere in the galaxy? Are they traveling through time? Have they broken that barrier? Are they traveling from one dimension to another? Have they broken that barrier? And my answer to this question generally, my response is generally, look, Columbus couldn't go to the moon on wind power. You know, we can't travel to the stars on chemical rockets. But just recently, scientists have come up with an equation that actually verifies the possibility of warp drive. That was just a couple of weeks ago that they announced that. Warp drive. Wow. There it is theoretically possible to create warp drive. Yeah. That is bending time and space. That's what that's doing. It's warping time and space. Yeah. And they have theoretically decided that's the, the key is our level of physics. At this point in our technology, we are not able to do that. Uh, but uh, you know, 10,000 years from now, even 5,000 years from now, maybe even 2,000 years from now, we don't know what we'll be capable of any more than Columbus could travel to the moon on wind power, and we cannot travel to the stars on chemical rocket power. So if there's a civilization that's been able to traverse time and space, to traverse time, to traverse multiple dimensions, you know, uh, then that particular race may be a million years in advance of ours and that possibility could exist so i definitely would not say that it isn't possible i think because of the witnesses 
the radar verification of these objects and their flight characteristics. There's no way in hell we could build anything like that. So they must be built by someone other than human. And yeah. that's that's the only conclusion anybody can come up with. There is no confirmation of verification because, as I always like to say, they aren't going to make any mistakes. Yeah. We make mistakes. We crash planes. We have accidents. They will not have any accidents. There will be none of that. I don't believe in crashed anything because they're not going to make those mistakes. They are way advanced beyond that. So, you know, if it happens, it's going to be happening because they volunteer that or that we identify it somewhere else. That's what I think is going to be. I, otherwise, it's just going to be a series of sightings that will continue as it is. It's, it's such it's so much fun to think about this stuff. Very fascinating yeah. stuff. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm hoping in, in my lifetime that I, we are able to verify that one one that intelligent life exists outside of our solar system but also i would love to verify that the existence of you know uh, alien technology on this planet that it is in fact confirming that they yeah. are from somewhere or someplace else um that would be earth shattering and it would be just as cool as it could possibly be um yeah. something we would never i think ever forget but I, we're getting it's certainly the needle's moving in that direction uh it's definitely going that direction uh with the u.s government admitting what they're admitting that is really rare the, the military and the government they never ever wanted to talk about any of that stuff and now they are so well there you go and all of the several of the other developed nations around the world have already already been dealing with these things and admitting that they are real so all we're saying now is that these uaps are real phenomena that is the admission right now so yeah. whatever the physicists want to say they can say whatever they want the u.s government says yeah they're they're real yeah. i don't know what it's that they say in australia does the australian government deal with all this stuff or do they what do they say we we we, we don't really deal in any of this we just we just see the issues happening over in america and just report back there's our government doesn't say it. Our government really doesn't say anything either way. Uh, there's a couple of famous um, stories in Australia, uh, sightings yeah. in Australia that were made by a number of people in one case, and I think one individual in another case. Very mm. famous, uh, very intriguing uh, witnesses, eyewitness testimony to some incredible sightings there. Um, I don't have them. I there. I think they're on. Uh, there's a series on YouTube called, um, I want to say it's Omega uh, Close Encounters. Close Encounters, but the word in front of it, I think, is Omega or something like that. And it's a series of uh, UFO documentaries that are really good. Um, they're detailed and they actually have a, a factual aftermath to each one of the, re they're all recreations, but they have a factual um post sort of um, marker on them that about what actually happened like the newspaper or the reports the persons or whatever they're only about five or they're about 11 minutes long each one and i think they are i think it's called omega close encounters um and it's on there so if you look for close encounters there's a lot of close encounter stuff that has to do with the feature film this is close encounter documentaries and i think it i think there's a word in front of it like omega or something like that where you can watch them and they are recreations of actual sightings 
for the last 120 years. They go back about 100 years um, in terms of the sightings um, and explain the whole story, what these people saw, what they witnessed, what these UFOs looked like. Jeez, Louise. I mean, these things are incredible. I mean, they're incredible. Um, I mean, to set the imagination on a track like that, to to imagine the technology you have to just simply appear out of nowhere, you mm. know, to have a craft that can actually change its entire structure and shape, you know, right then in front of you, to be able to do the things that these craft have been witnessed to do is that's what I mean by, you know, advanced technology so far. It, it's no different than if you you gave us a, 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 a Neolithic Stone Age man a microwave oven or a cell phone. I mean, that's that's just three or four. That's about 10,000 years, you know, can, or 20,000 years. You can't imagine that yeah. kind of technology 20,000 years from now. You just can't imagine what that would be. Tim, uh, did you ever ever get into the rabbit hole of Bob Lazar? Uh, I listened to, uh, the story of Bob Lazar, um, but I have to question cause it's anecdotal. Yeah. It's still anecdotal. And, you know, he talks about his records have all been expunged and there's no, you know, record of him. They took all of his records away. And I tend to, uh, that tends to, to lean into the conspiracy theory sort of replies when people when you confront them with facts or information or whatever questions, they tend to move the goalposts. So I don't necessarily, I wouldn't bank on it. If I had a t if I had five grand right now, 5,000 to put on the table, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it on the fact that he was legitimate. I think, I think that uh, he's just making all that stuff up and that's it. You know, he might've worked, you know, in some of those areas for, you know, on the outside or something fringe, but I don't, I don't, I'm not buying any of it right now. Um, it's very hard to keep a conspiracy of two intact, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah. It's very hard to keep a conspiracy of two. Do you think for a minute, if you had an alien spacecraft in a hangar, that that shit wouldn't have gotten out by now? Oh, yeah. It would be all over the place. You cannot keep anything secret anymore. Um, and and I don't think that anybody else could keep it secret either. Um, I just don't buy any of that stuff. Again, I don't buy that. An alien craft is going to voluntarily land and communicate and do all this. That's from the movies. I can't believe it's going to crash either. They aren't going to crash. They don't crash. You know, that's the, we, we do that kind of stuff. You know, I just don't, I don't buy that. You know, if they're here, I personally believe they're robotic, that they are automated because any advanced civilization is not going to be able to is not going to have a corporeal body like ours they're they're advanced they're way beyond all of that they might be nothing but energy we don't know what they are but they're whatever that is is going to be advanced and if they're doing you know uh exploration and whatever fantastic you know um that's what that's something that we do now we're sending yeah. probes to the outer moons of the outer planets that's what we're doing why wouldn't any intelligence civilization with the capabilities be able to do the same thing? So I, I just, you know, I think they're just here taking a look, checking us out. Hopefully, hopefully not determining that, you know, they want to blow us out of the sky. But, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, I think certainly checking us out. Let me ask you this before we start wrapping up. You said that they don't make mistakes. They don't crash. They're way beyond and we're advanced. Yeah. 
And if there are reports of them crashing, would you be massively disappointed if it was us all along? <laughs> if it was us all along? Like it was just a human tech all, all, all along. Oh my God, no. I No, I wouldn't be disappointed at all. I would be shocked. <laughs> I would be absolutely shocked if that turned out to be the case. Um, I, if I had... If I had five thousand to put on the table right now, I would put it on no. Okay. Um, don't think that's going to be the case because our our technological track, uh, contrary to what what some of the ufologists like to believe, was not inspired by UFO alien technology. It, it our track has been consistent with our technology. It's le- one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and yes, we're getting you know pretty advanced as we go along, but it's limited. So for us to be able to to fly and conduct a craft like that, that shit would be out before you know what happened. Yeah. Um, if we were able to do that again, it's not going to be secret for very long. It just simply isn't. So uh, if we were able to do that, that would be something we'd be able to do. And and uh, our adversaries would all be looking at that and wanting to know what the secrets and yada yada yada. So you know, no, uh, I would be absolutely shocked if they were, if they were able to create a craft that could travel. Um, uh, at right angles at 200, 300 miles an hour. Um, Define gravity. Define gravity, trying to ch- ch- hovering without uh, uh, thrusters, yeah. um, going from altitudes of uh, 20,000 feet down to the surface, into the water, into the ocean, and travel underwater at the same speed. You know, I, I just don't see that happening um, anywhere. Anyhow, um, we come up with technology like that. I can guarantee you the military is going to use it for something. So we would be aware of it eventually. It's just never going to happen. Those things are not man-made. Yeah, whatever they're doing is not man-made. That's that's clear. So I just believe I believe they're automated. I believe they're robotic. Um, the reports of beings uh in uh, some of these craft uh maybe maybe possible if they are able to trans if they're traverse uh, able to traverse time and space maybe they figured out a way to do that and they are still quasi corporeal in terms of their physical shape and, and and being that may be possible we don't have verification of all that stuff so it's just a guess but i think the craft that we have seen are probably robotic probably something very different than whatever we could imagine i mean again it's it's no different than a, a, a caveman and a microwave oven man i mean it's just not that's the difference that's and you can't back engineer you're not going to reverse engineer alien technology that's you know a hundred thousand years you know uh, into the future you're not going to do that there's no way in hell uh, we are going to be able to i don't care who what minds you put on it to be able to back engineer tech like that again because you don't have you don't have, you're missing the huge gap that that led to that technology and you can't make that leap to understand how it works mm-hmm. you know it might work just from thought it just might work from you have no idea what's making that thing tick yeah. you know and the only analogy i can suggest is again is giving a a caveman a, a, an iphone and asking to to back engineer an iphone really that's not going to happen so you're you're not going to be able to figure out what's going on with this thing or how it works or what's going. It's just not going to happen. So, so 
you know, all that stuff is, I think, a bunch of nonsense. Uh, hopefully the day will come when we can verify 100 percent, you know, when the physicists actually have to admit that, yeah, OK, something's going on, you know, and yeah. that'll be I hope I live long enough to hear it. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll wrap up in just a second, but you sort of left us on a um, heavy and fascinating topic that we're going to discuss as soon as we finish <laughs> up here, and it's only nine o'clock in the morning here. So, yeah, sorry. So, um, let me ask you just one more question before we let you go. Yeah. What 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 is your life philosophy? Well, um, I would have, I, you know, I would have to say that, uh, like I guess I mentioned earlier on that, um, life is my philosophy is life is random mm. and that you have to be able to, you know, there, there's a saying that the, the, the optimist, uh, the, the, the pessimist complains uh, about the wind the optimist hopes it will change and the realist adjusts the sails so i would say that you want to be in the category of the realist i'm a realist i look at the world as it actually is i look at things as how they are i look at the at people uh and the human nature of people um going back as far as uh, millennia in terms of how they behave and what motivates them so i I think that you know we are in, we live in a in a in a random universe and, and at the mercy of a random universe and in a random world and we have to be cognizant of that and we have to accept that fact. I I, I don't believe in in magic. I don't believe in fantasy. I don't believe in all that other stuff. I I my feet are firmly on the ground and I'm a realist. I look at everything realistically, and. I believe you have to accept those things, even though they are unpleasant in some cases. You know, they're not happy and warm and fuzzy and whatever. And I looked at the at the world as what it is. You know, and um, I think that it, that it's it's a lot easier to survive um, uh, with your feet on the ground and looking at the world as a, as a realist because it could be, you know, you might break. If you look at it any other way, and and then you're confronted with the reality, you know, and you and you're not prepared for it, you're you're not conditioned for it, you know, and you may not survive that. So I think the only way you can survive is to look at the world realistically, and look at uh, human beings realistically, our societies realistically, um, and and that's that's the way I live uh, from day to day. Yeah, I I love that. Thank, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. I just want to also say, hopefully, um, SAG um, score up, get a fair deal soon. Um, with the WGA strike just ended, hopefully, um, you're not too long after. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we have a, a meeting on that's... Monday. Yeah, I think we have a meeting on Monday or something. We should be, we're getting back at the table. So, it shouldn't be too long, you know. It's yeah. it, it's happened before, you know. It'll probably happen again at some point, um, you know. And along the lines of what I was mentioning before about being a realist, I also am aware of the fact that you cannot stop technology and technology rules. Technology is not going anywhere, and it will affect all of our lives um, in the very, very near future. And that includes not just my business, but others. Right now, there's reports about 
AI replacing white collar jobs also. People coming right out of college, business school and all these other things. And they may not be able to find work because they've been replaced by an algorithm. So it's not just us, not just, you know, robots on the assembly line replacing workers. AI is going to replace those in the middle class and upper middle class as well if they're not careful. This is not going to be able to be stopped. You can't stop this. And again, it's looking at the world realistically, it's projecting from now to the to the future. You got to look 20 years down the line to know what's coming and what's going to happen. You can't look at the next 10 minutes. It's 20 years. This technology will never, ever stop because the yeah. powers that be that control it are going to maintain and keep going in that direction. You know, right. and yeah. that's that's what's happening. You know, and, and I can speak from you know, the United States, I mean, my country. Um, I don't know what the dynamics are in Australia. I don't know what the, you know, what the relationship is between government and labor and government and capitalism and all that kind of stuff. But we, we run on a democratic and capitalist society and the capitalist part of the society is pretty strong. So, you know, they've got power and they're going to use that power. And uh, when they come up with something that's, that's a new breakthrough in technology, something that can make, they can make 20 times more money, you can guarantee they're going to use it. And if that displaces workers, so be it. They don't care. The goal of the corporations is to make money. That's what their goal is. And uh, when you get a patent on a piece of tech, you want to make your money on that patent. So it's going to keep going and it's going to keep going. And, you know, again, as my philosophy is as a realist, you got to look at that. You got to project, you know, where things are going and what it's going to be like and you better be ready for it because it's going to come there is no stopping it no putting pandora back in the box you know genies genies out of the bottle right out of the bottle and you ain't going to put it back that's right absolutely correct all you some can do advantages, is yeah all you some can advantages do yes sales. that's right you have some of it is an advantage and other parts of it are not so much so i can i can appreciate the computers in my telescope Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I can appreciate, I can appreciate having knowledge at yeah. my fingertips. I appreciate that. Um, I, I utilize it. It's very helpful, but the other aspects of it is that they can take over your life and they can replace you and they can do all these other things. And, you know, you got to accept that's what happened. You got to adjust the sales to the wind. You got to adjust the sales or they're going to get left. That's how it is, man. You know, it's the, the people that make things happen, people that watch what happens, and then there are those who ask what happened. You don't want to be in that last category. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll say this, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself and you got something out yeah. of this. You don't get out of other podcasts. That's our only big goal. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. I, I, I very much appreciate it because, um, uh, we got to cover some topics that, uh, you know, I don't always get a chance to cover. And, uh, and I enjoy, you know, having that kind of conversation rather than, you know, stuff that I've talked about about a million times. So right. yeah. thank you very much.